This reading is from Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell that stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendour. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will, they, uh, you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not push the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished um, all his tempting, he was left until an opportune time. So, it's Christmas Day, 1977. 6 a.m. in the morning, and I'm seven years old. You probably guessed, I'm downstairs opening my Christmas present. By the way, back in the day, you got one Christmas present, okay? I'm opening my Christmas present. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's going to be... Oh, Daddy, help me out. A big track. Anyone else get a big track ever? Oh, well done. Just one other. We'll, we'll team up at the end and compare notes. I'd seen it on television. I'd seen the advert with the cool American boy. He got one and his life was transformed. Yes, it's every kid's dream, a programmable robot. You can enter in a program code, you can make it go into the kitchen and shoot your mum with a laser gun. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I unpacked my big track full of joy. Took it out of the box, had the instructions, had the unit itself, and then I'm looking in the paper, in the box, is it there? And then the sad realisation dawns on me, Dave give us a click, Batteries not included. Now, guys, you've got to go with me. This is 1977, okay? People are wearing flares, and shops don't open on Christmas Day. None of them. Shops don't open on Boxing Day. I was a kid with a new toy, a dream toy that I wanted to play with, and for two days I had to play with it, Batteries not including, included. I had this amazing but non-functional, dead, boring lump of plastic. All I could do was like push it along a bit and you know make the laser noise myself and just <laughs> imagine in two days' time how it would be when I finally got those batteries and made it work. Sometimes I think the Christian life is a bit like getting a big track for Christmas, and the batteries are not included. 
And at the beginning of this new year that lies ahead of us, with all the opportunity and the scope for plans and adventure and new things and things that are unknown, before we launch into any of those plans or that activity, before we start thinking about what we might do new or what we might want to change, I want to remind us all that we should pray first, which is the title of this series, and we're going to be looking at it for four weeks. And prayer, of course, is that thing that we all believe is important, but so easily often neglect to do. Perhaps every year we need a timely reminder to be encouraged to pray. And uh, prayer, as we'll hear as we go through this series, is important to living a Christian life. And uh, here's a quote that's going to come on the screen. Go, Dave, here's a click. A church will not rise above the level of its prayer. Anyone know who said that? Dave, give us a click. (laughs) Me. (laughs) So actually it would be folly for us to engage in great plans and not have first started in prayer. Because if we do that, then our plans are, are merely our desires to put our talents at work and see how good we are. And I would rather be involved in the adventure of following what God has in store for us. We're going to chat at our tables and you're going to have a couple of minutes to talk about and Dave, if you click onto the next slide, you'll see what the question is. I want you to talk about, oh no, that's much too far. Do we have one that says, okay, well the question is this, what's your, um, what's your disappointing Christmas present story. So you've heard mine, big track, batteries not included, two days of no big track fun. Okay, say hi to the people that are on your table and find out what's their disappointing Christmas present story. Off you go. been reading the body language in the room. Some of you are smiling. You've obviously always had great presence. Some of you have to see the tears welling up. There's a painful memory coming to the surface. We'll, we'll, we'll have a time of prayer and ministry for you at the end. If you're in the big track club with me, battery's not included. As we heard in the um, reading that Rosie read, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he withdrew into the desert to pray 40 days. In fact, as you read the Gospel accounts, you'll see that he repeated that practice of prioritising prayer many times. Before he went to pray for the sick, before teaching the masses, before making important decisions like appointing um, the key disciples. Sometimes he'd get up early in the morning, sometimes he would just disappear and go to pray and people didn't know where he was. Sometimes he would withdraw to a quiet place. Sometimes it was 40 days or through the night or he would pray for an hour. Jesus prayed first. He sets us the example of praying first. If we want to follow after him, we can't go far wrong than to follow his example of prioritising prayer. And I think 
actually there are many places around the world where the church knows this truth already and does not need to be reminded of it. Particularly places in the world where um, there is poverty, particularly places in the world where um, life is unsafe or, or difficult, where there's hardship, places where there's conflict or war. I think in those places, no one needs to stand up and say, we should remind ourselves of the importance of prayer. They already know it. They already know that their deepest needs are not going to be met by what's in the room. Their deepest needs will be met only by the living God engaging with them. And we in the West um, are in some ways inoculated from that because we're very well resourced, very well trained and very well educated. We have uh, probably all the things that we need. And so for us, in a way, uh, the very nature of our life and our lifestyle means that our mantra probably is pray last. Like I, I was once in a meeting with somebody and I said, shall we pray? And he said, is it as bad as that? <laughs> and that's kind of the Western mindset, isn't it? You know, if, if all else fails, then maybe we might, you know, we might pray. We pray last. And I want to suggest that we should put it the other way around. We should be people who are praying first. And Jesus says our, our prayer level is like a test of our spiritual integrity as people. So, for example, in Matthew 6, 5, he says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing on the street corners to be seen. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Prayer is, is a mark of somebody who is following Jesus and understands that there is a living God to be engaged with. I think when we pray, we pray we're being deeply charismatic. Now, I don't know how charismatic you feel you are. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, just in your head, how charismatic do you feel you are? 1 might be like just smiling in worship, and 10 would be like preaching in a white suit. Like, where, how charismatic are you? I reckon I'm like maybe 7, okay? Like never going to wear the white suit. Uh, I once described myself as a charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, so I'm like not quite into whatever. The next level I think probably is like Pentecostal. Um, so I'm like just, just behind that level. 7 out of 10 on the charismatic scale. But prayer is something that's deeply charismatic. Because prayer is something that only makes sense because there is a living God to be engaged with. We can do a lot following Jesus by just talking about Jesus thinking about Jesus, learning about Jesus, uh, doing things that Jesus said. But when we pray, we, we gather all that up and we engage with a living God and we engage with God as being alive. Batteries are included in our faith. Why, why would you want a form of Christianity where the batteries are not included? And to fail to pray, therefore, is not, in a sense, to break some religious rule or expectation or requirement placed upon us. To fail to pray is actually to fail to see God for who he is. A living being with whom we can engage and connect. As we already mentioned, prayer is something that we know is important. Um, and this perception about 
the importance of prayer uh, runs far deeper than just people who go to church. Um, a few years ago, Tiffin did a survey of the whole of the UK, not just people that went to church, but just of the general public. And here's some of the things that they found. 22 million adults, that's 42% of the adults that they spoke to, said they pray. One in six adults, that's 9 million people, say they pray every day. One in four adults said that they pray at least once a week. Uh, After praying, people said that they most often feel, 38%, peaceful and content. 30%, strengthened. 22%, closer to God. 21%, reassured and safe, 19% happy or joyful. When people are asked what they pray about, 68% of people said they pray for family and for friends. 41% said they pray to thank God. Uh, 32% said they prayed for guidance to hear what God was saying to them. 26% for healing and 25% for world issues like poverty and war and things like that. Actually one of the, the well, things that really stood out in Tiffin's survey was the age group in, in church, of those that go to church, that prayed the most were people between the ages of 16 and 34. That that younger age group actually uh, carried, on average, the greater passion for prayer. So, well done, youth table, for all that praying you're doing. Well done, 20s and 30s cluster, for leading us in prayer. Help the rest of us in doing that really well. The John Calvin, a 16th century reformer of the church, um, believed that everybody, every human being, carried a sense of the divine within them. He said this, there is within the human mind uh, a natural instinct, an awareness of divinity, and therefore the seed of religion in the form of prayer is planted in all of us. Another theologian, Karl Barth, said this. Um, he called prayer the incurable God sickness that every person is born with. That sense that uh, uh, ev- everyone, somewhere deep within their soul, within their psyche, within their personality, has a sense of there is a God to reach out to in prayer. Maybe they, they act on that, or maybe they don't act on it, but there's a sense within um, uh, Humanity is as a whole of that calling to reach out to God in prayer. Well, I quoted um, John Calvin. And John Calvin, who uh, was a 16th century um, French lawyer who became one of the great reformers uh, of the church. In fact, I've got a picture of him somewhere. There he is. Um, Random fact, he liked to wear hats a lot. That's probably not a good summary of the man, but, you know, just so you can remember him. He's the reformer that liked to wear hats. And he wrote about prayer in his um, famous book, The Institutes of Religion. It's a massive, it's a massive book. I once met somebody who in a meeting said he had read Calvin's Institutes. And there was like a, you know, like, wow, you've, you've read the whole of Calvin's Institutes of Religion. I haven't, I've read selected bits um, of it um, in shorter books. And Calvin had, um, in, his, in his Institutes of Religion, he said there were four rules of prayer. He, he taught four rules 
of what prayer was about to people that he wanted to encourage in prayer. And I want to pass those on to you. And the first rule is this, that uh, prayer begins with reverence, or what, what in old moral fashion language you might call the fear of God. Now, this is, this is not the fear of God in the sense of the fear of a punishment. In fact, in some ways, that, that idea of fear of punishment comes when we place too much focus on ourselves, when we think it's all about us, and then we're worried about, oh my word, what God might do to me. The, the, this idea of the fear of God is, is the idea of the reverence and awe of who God is. I just want to call it the wow factor. Okay? The, the, the idea is that when we come to pray... John Calvin says, you should engage with the wow of who God is. When we come and pray, it's as if we kind of enlarge our perspective. Maybe we've got a problem or a thought or a need or something we need to hear from, and we're just aware of it from our own world. It's been going around our head or we've been thinking about it. When we come to pray, it's as if we, we move away from a parochial perspective and we plug in to a much bigger picture it's like plugging into the internet but kind of better yeah your phone when it's not connected to the internet fairly boring and then you switch on and suddenly it comes alive because it's connected to the living internet it's kind of like that that's what he's saying when we pray the first thing we should do says john calvin is connect with the reverence the amazing awesomeness of God, the wow factor of who God is. That single step alone may be hugely transformative in terms of how we pray and what we think and how we are as a result of the thing that we brought to God in the first place. We may come thinking, oh, it's just little old me, it's this thing. And then we come to God and we, we start thinking about God and talking to God and we connect with who he is and then our whole perspective on it is transformed because we see a bigger picture. We, we, we glimpse a tiny bit of how God might see that situation. So that was the first of Calvin's rules. The, the wow, the sense of awe and reverence of God. The, the second um, rule, he described it like this. The sense of need that exceeds all unreality. Okay, I had no idea what that means. I looked it up. He's talking about spiritual humility. After we've engaged with the, the awesomeness of God, we then can uniquely see ourselves in proper perspective to who that is. And prayer both produces and requires humility. It, it puts us in right perspective of who we are in relation to God and who God is in relation to what we're praying about. Prayer brings us into God's presence where maybe our shortcomings or our uh, uh, parochial, our small-mindedness is, is exposed and, 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 and laid bare. And then through that new awareness, we, we go back to God and so it becomes a, a cycle. Prayer put, puts us in that healthy, stable place of seeing ourselves humbly before God. And I often think of it like this. It's, I think it's hard to sustain a bad attitude in prayer. Like maybe like for 10 seconds or a, few, a minute or something. But 
I try praying with a wrong motive about something for a period of time. You won't be able to sustain it. Try praying for an hour, God make me a billionaire so I'm so rich I can buy anything that I want for myself. Try praying that for a period of time. What will happen? As you draw near to God, you will see yourself and that prayer request exposed in proper perspective to God. And what you came with, God make me a billionaire so I'm rich so I can have anything that I want, will be exposed to the truth of God and the light of God and the love of God and you will be forced to adjust your perspective in light of who God is. Imagine if there's somebody that you didn't like and you know, maybe you're, talk, you're thinking in your head or you're talking to your, a friend about it and you're like, oh, I hate that person. Oh, they're horrible. I hope something ha- horrible happens to them. hope they fall over. You know, hope they drop their phone and the screen cracks. hope they're really sick and ill. Or, you know, hope they have a miserable Christmas. Try taking that to God in prayer as a request. And, and you will instantly be humbled. Dear Lord, please help that person to have a horrible life. You know, it just doesn't work, does it? Doesn't, it's, it, you can't even formulate a prayer to God that has an improper motive. Because instantly, very quickly, it will be exposed for what it is. You will be exposed. You will be laid humble before God. And God will adjust your prayer or you will stop praying. In fact, if you've got something, you, you know, a, a, a decision to make, maybe just try praying it. Like, could I formulate this desire in a prayer? If you couldn't, maybe it just, it's wrong. Like, maybe it's just not the right thing to do. Like, if you just can't even, if you couldn't even phrase that thing that you want to happen or know or do or, or see as a prayer to God then maybe it's something that you shouldn't. Then maybe, but, but, you know, if you wanted guidance, express your heart to God in prayer and see what happens in that conversation. Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian, Josh's best friend, he's dead now, um, <laughs> says this, the function of prayer is not so much to influence God but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. So Calvin's first rule was this. We go to God for the reverence, the wow factor of prayer. His second was that we go to be spiritually humble. And the third was this, um, that we should be submissive and trust God. That is, we, we should trust and submit to God. It's like prayer's a seesaw and there's a point when we come with the thing, but there's a point when we kind of have to hand it with trust and submission to God. And that can be a scary thing. Maybe, maybe that's why sometimes we need to take time to pray, to know, am I ready to bring this thing to God in prayer? Because there's a point at which, if, if the prayer is like a thing I'm carrying, there's a point at which I relinquish my hold on it And I pass it to the living God who may do with that something different than I would really want. And so that's a maturity of prayer. That's a maturity of trust. That's a willingness to recognise that God's not just my best friend that I chat to, but is the sovereign Lord of heaven to whom 
I should give my allegiance, I should obey, I should do what God tells me to do. And so that was Calvin's third rule, that we come and we express our trust and we, we give our prayer to God and submit to what he has for us. And the fourth rule was this, that we should pray with confidence and hope. Because prayer goes somewhere. Prayer is talking to the living God. And God answers prayer. He might not always answer the prayer in the way that we want him to. We may have to wait for the answer to prayer. We, some, some of what God does may be a mystery and we may have to wait until the end of our life and then we can see God face to face and say, about that thing I prayed God, can you just tell me what happened? Because I didn't quite know what happened to that prayer request. You know, maybe we don't understand and ultimately those things will be, have to be revealed to us. There's an element, there's a mystery to prayer. There's an unknown thing. There's also a persistence of prayer, not, not giving up but carrying on praying. But God does hear our prayers and God can answer prayer and God can't answer the prayers that we didn't pray. So in a sense, to not is to miss out altogether. To pray is to give God the opportunity of responding to us. Well, we're going to have a chance to chat in a minute and I just want to let you have a few moments to start thinking um, about how you want to respond. We want to engage with this idea of praying first. And we all have so many things going on in our lives, needs, opportunities, decisions, things that are happening that are good, things that are happening that might not be good. And I reckon we need to be more passionate and diligent about bringing those to God in prayer. There's a lot of things we do at G2, and I reckon we ought to be more committed to pray first before we act. There's a lot of talent in this room. Do you know what? If we just shut God out and put on our best show, we could do a cracking job. Because there's a lot of talented people in this room. And that would be a horrible path to go down. So we need to be those who actually humbly say, God, we want to follow your plans. We want the best plans you have for us. We are going to one of the ways we can do that is we will pray first. How are we going to pray? Well, there's a million ways to pray, and I just want to give you one. And I've already mentioned one um, dead middle-aged theologian, so I thought I might as well give you two. And the second guy we're going to look at um, is Martin Luther. He's a handsome chap. Look at him there on the right. Uh, Luther was a 15th and 16th century German monk. He was a Catholic priest and he was a professor of theology and also a reformer of the church. I don't know if he's one of Josh's heroes. Not so much. Okay, not so much. Random facts about Martin Luther. He loved beer and cheese and in the letters to his wife where he wrote her love sonnets, he also wrote an equal number of words about beer and cheese. <laughs> What a role model as a husband for correspondence, beer cheese and romantic poetry. His idea of a great cell group was a bunch of students, a box of cheese and a keg of beer. Okay, He's a hero of the church. I commend him to you. 
Go and do likewise. Um, on prayer, Martin Luther once wrote this. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. And when Luther um, taught students about prayers, in one of his books, he gave them um, a simple structure of prayer. And I, I want to offer it to us um, to see if it's useful to us maybe this week ahead. Um, and the first thing he said is, um, prayer is an instructor. He said, when we pray or when we read the Bible, we have something to learn. Prayer, he said, is like our school book. Because it illuminates us about who God is and what God wants. And I've given you some examples, but there are many other ways in which that might happen. Where we learn about who God is when we engage with God in prayer. Or maybe when we read the Bible and pray about what it says, we, we can first engage with what it's telling us about who God is. Prayer is learning. Do I understand what God wants me to know? Do I agree with it? Do I agree fully? Am I, am I living it in my life as well as just knowing it or hearing it or believing it? Prayer is a way of knowing and remembering what God is saying to me and what God has said to me and how God wants me to live. As an aside, I've been thinking for the last few months about one of the things that we do a lot of at G2, which is mentoring. And mentoring is brilliant. And in the heart of mentoring is that, that desire to learn how to follow God. But I think sometimes we want to take the shortcut and say, I just want somebody to tell me what to do. And this subject of prayer and this, this idea from Martin Luther, and as it goes on into the other things he has to say, I think suggests to us that <coughs> prayer can be our mentor. It's good to have role models, people we learn from. It's good to have a mentor. It's good to have people who can teach us what they know. But it, if we're doing that and not engaging with God in prayer in such a way that we are learning what God is saying to us, then in a way we're being lazy disciples. And we're trying to ask maybe even somebody to do for us something that first we should be taking to God in the process of prayer. Mentoring's great, but praying is better. Mentors may be come and go, you can always pray and engage with God. So the first was instruction. The, he called it the school book. The second was thanksgiving. And Luther called it his songbook. He said, prayer is my songbook. Because whenever I pray, and whenever I read the Bible, I can turn what I hear and what I say into thanksgiving to God. How can I take something I've read or something I want to bring to God before I get into a shopping list of, you know, God give me this and this and this. Uh, how can I turn that idea into thanksgiving? How can I make it thanks and praise focus? Like Josh got us to do at the beginning of the meeting through the things we talked about and then we took that into our sung worship. That was our prayer expressed as thanks to God. The third thing he said is this. Then we need to confess and change. Uh, what is God highlighting to me by his spirit as I pray about this area? 
as I draw close to God, I will recognise the faults in my own life. The, perhaps the reasons in my own life why um, this prayer need is before me. Perhaps the, just the illuminating light of, of reading the Bible kind of brings that sense of spiritual humility. But there's that, there's that perception that we can get where we can realise, actually, I've come to ask God to do something, but the process of seeking God in prayer, I, I need to do something. I need to say sorry about something. I need to repent, which means change, change my attitude, my, my desires, my, what I want. Um, or I need to see how God might be saying, this area of my life might need to, ch- to change. By his Holy Spirit, God brings that to us as we bring things to him in prayer. And then the last thing, the fourth thing Luke said was this, was that we come and ask. He said, then we pray and ask. This is the one that we all go to quickly. This is the place we all jump to first. Um, dear God, I need, I need this and I need this. I need this. Can you get me a parking space? Can you find me something on sale? Um, can you make my job okay? Can you make this okay? Um, by the way, you're wonderful. Bye. And, and we do our asking first. Luther said he taught his students to learn first, then to thank God then to recognise where they needed to change. And then lastly, that they should pray for themselves and for others. And it might be, having gone through that whole process, that what they pray and ask God for specifically is different from what they started with. Because remember, prayer is a transforming experience. Or maybe we got so caught up in thanksgiving and seeing things from a glimpse of God's perspective that actually our heart's desire and our prayer requests have changed and have become something completely different. We're going to have a bit of a few minutes at the tables to do something. And what I would like you to do is um, there should be some post-its and there should be some pens. So grab a post-it sheet and grab a pen. And I want us to, to catch this idea of praying first. I'm not asking anyone to go away and spend three hours in prayer the next morning. By all means, do that. I'm probably more likely suggesting that you spend two minutes in prayer tomorrow. Um, Or maybe there's some stuff that you want to thank God about. Or maybe there's a need you're aware of and you want to um, pray for somebody else. Or maybe there's um, an area where you need to listen to God. So what I'm going to suggest you do is just, whatever comes to mind, maybe on the left side of your bit of paper, you note something that's on your mind. It might be your job, might be your work, might be going back to school, might be something about yourself, might be something about someone else. This is not going to be show and tell. You're not going to have to share with a friend. This is just um, for you. And then maybe on the right, you just want to write a word or two about how you can pray first about that. Maybe you're going to pray in the car on the way to work in the morning Um, maybe you're going to take an opportunity to say thank you to God for something, maybe you want to just highlight a a simple first step that captures this idea that before we do, before we um, ask for ourselves, we want to engage with God in prayer so we've got about two three minutes to do that Uh, that note is then just for you, you stick it in the pocket and take it away 
and then uh, we'll carry on with our meeting.